What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. What's up, Chris? Welcome to the show, man. Morning, Dallas. Good morning, Angie. It's great to be here. Morning. Great to see you. Yeah, we miss you, dude. The, well, it's the, been a little while. Yeah, the mustache is a new addition. Last time I saw you, we didn't have the mustache. That's how long <laughs> it's been. It comes and goes, and we're just in one of those, you know, in, in one of those cycle periods. I got it. <laughs> yeah, for the audience, you're going to be upset if we don't post the uh, video of this podcast, because Chris is looking good. He's got a nice mustache, and uh, we're excited to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Dallas, and I'm excited to be here, too. Been looking forward to this. Same. Same. So, Chris, we wanted to bring you on um, because we've covered a lot of different aspects of the program with um, several of our other staff. But something, and I'll, and I'll just replay it for our listeners. So, um, we were just talking about this. About a year ago, I uh, came up to Tahoe. You work out of the Tahoe facility, and we did our grand opening for the outpatient up there which is exciting out of all the years that we had the outpatient. We've never had a, a designated outpatient center. Uh, we had the Tahoe Tribune there. We had all kinds of people in the community. Everybody was very excited about this. And we did the grand opening. We cut the ribbon. And literally, let's see, we went out bowling that night, had a great time. And on my way home, all of a sudden the pandemic hit and we were locked down. And there went all of our greatest and best hopes of being, uh, you know, having the outpatient center due to the different restrictions and safety because of Corona. Uh, fast forward, we kind of had to immediately pivot into the virtual outpatient world so that we could continue to help people, but do it in a way that was conducive for the times. And here you are. Now that is your baby. You are the one that helped us get this going. You are over it. You've helped us take it to the next level. And I really want to talk about that with our listeners. Well, yeah, I think uh, of the things that I could talk about, that's probably it. Nice. Well, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. are an awesome, uh, you know, uh, primary counselor that we have. So you, you have a lot of experience working with clients already. So it wasn't like something completely new. But the virtual world, I mean, it's kind of new for all of us. It's it's certainly had its challenges. Um, yeah, the the switch in role from that uh, you know AOD technician or primary counselor to uh, to the virtual outpatient has been you know certainly interesting, fraught with challenge, absolutely because of the uh, the virtual nature of things. Um, and it's actually it's interesting. The coronavirus has been you know in a lot of ways it's been a detriment to a lot of people, but it's also had a a fair amount of boons as well. Uh, and, and one of those being, you know, the ability to do this work virtually. Um, and, and we found that a lot of our clients and a lot of the people that come looking for help, uh, it's, it's a lot easier for them to get that help virtually. Uh, and so the virtual nature of the outpatient has actually been, you know, I've found extremely beneficial for both myself and also for the clients that I work with. And I think we've been able to make a lot of progress in this medium. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that is the biggest takeaway is like, yes, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not as intense as physically being there, but the pro is absolutely the vastness of it. If you can reach anybody at any time, anywhere, there's help all the time. And so I think, you know, some degree of help is way better than, you know, not having access to it or, or shutting down or, 
you know, I just I think that pro outweighs maybe like the tiny little bit of con of not being able to pick up on what's really happening physically. Yeah, it's it's certainly a different level of care. Um, whereas in the inpatient there and we were talking about this a little bit, uh, whereas in the inpatient, there isn't really an option, uh, you know, of leaving of logging off uh, the outpatient <laughs> muting culture, your microphone. <laughs> muting your microphone, turning off your camera. Yeah. Uh, the outpatient clients are actually, they're, they're motivated to to show up and to try to work on themselves. And so there is, um, there is that aspect. But it, it's been incredibly beneficial, I've found, for the people that live, you know, they travel for work or they live, uh, saying, you know, even in Southern California, they can log in to, uh, you know, the outpatient, which was previously just in Tahoe proper, uh, and still, you know, receive some care and, and some support. And also the community that's been developed, uh, you know, through the individuals that I work with, um, that's been beneficial as well. They, you know, some of them talk to each other outside of sessions and uh, are able to receive some additional support uh, from there. So that's awesome. I look back at, you know, our transition just through Elevate. And when we first started, we had the full length program, which was minimum 90 days. And that was our only program. And we felt so strongly about it. We're like, this is the only way. And then, you know, as time came on, different challenges, insurance, people not able to stay 90 days, then all of a sudden it became like, okay, we have the 30 day or the 90 day. Then, you know, we transition now this 90 day is maybe more like a 67 day. Um, and we have the 30 day, hey, wait, now we can actually do outpatient. And, and the amazing thing is, is we still see success. Like we've had to change as an organization and our views of what help looks like to meet people where they're at. And for a lot of people, this is where they're at and this is what they can do. And why the heck wouldn't we be there to help them with this? Yeah, it's, I think it's all directed to answer the question of how do we help the most people using the tools that we have? Um, you know, me personally, I found, you know, the program to be incredibly beneficial in my life and uh, sort of the guiding ethos for me of, of trying to, um, you know, facilitate this outpatient is to bring that to, you know, as many people as I can and, and try to present the concepts of that 90 day program that I've been through myself <laughs> to the, to the outpatient audience, which is, you know, it's, it's an incredibly different environment. It varies a lot from, uh, from individual to individual. And, you know, sometimes I'll have, you know, for instance, someone who has six months of sobriety in the same meeting as someone who's, you know, got six hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so That's there's this question of how do we present, you know, these high level concepts like, um, you know, taking responsibility for your life and well-being uh, to to both of those demographics uh, simultaneously. And so that's, you know, it's got its own challenges, but I found it to be um, it, it's an incredible opportunity for growth for myself. So I enjoy it. Yeah, no, it sounds like Chris, you're the perfect guy for it too, man. You know, you're, you're upbeat. You're not hard to look at and uh, people want to listen to you, dude. You know, you speak well, it's, it's, there's, you got a lot of good things going for you, dude. And sobriety is one of those things. But my big question for you is, well, actually it's not really a question. It's more of a, like, uh, will you talk about this? Uh, it's not a command either, but why don't you tell the audience a little bit about a normal outpatient outpatient session like what does a typical three hours with Chris Buenrostro look like sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well thank you Dallas I, <laughs> I appreciate it you're welcome uh, man. Yeah, 
So a, a typical outpatient session, uh, it always starts with the check-in. So uh, we're always going to talk about, you know, what you're going through right now, specifically any challenges, gains, wins, achievements, things of that nature, uh, you know, as well as any urges and cravings, uh, really anything that pertains to your recovery or, and because it is outpatient, your well-being in general. So um, this is an opportunity for all of all of the people in attendance to really check in on, you know, what they're going through. Um, and that's oftentimes a lot more in depth than a check-in might be in the inpatient setting. And the reason for that is that people are living their lives. There's <laughs> more so going on. They, yeah. Yeah. Coming up on a daily basis where it's, they have to figure out how to, how to navigate. Right. And especially through the lens of someone who's in early recovery. Um, and so we always start with a check-in and that, you know, that could take, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. Right. Wow, so we're yeah. trying to listen to what everybody's going through and then, and then try to, you know, provide feedback, offer an opportunity for crosstalk from everybody in the session, uh, provide suggestions, things of that nature, all while trying to maintain, you know, a respectful environment. Uh, and so we do that. Typically after that, we'll, we'll take a quick break. And so it'll be usually about seven o'clock by the time we get back. Uh, and then when we do, we'll usually jump into a mindfulness discussion. So uh, we'll incorporate some of the mindfulness techniques from uh, the inpatient program. So it could be, you know, one of those specific discussions, a progressive muscle relaxation. We could, um, we typically talk about one specific concept for mindfulness. So it could be forgiveness, it could be letting go, uh, it could be responsibility, uh, and just looking at that through a different lens. And so we'll discuss that as a group. I'll pose some questions, people will pose their answers, we'll talk about that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll practice a guided meditation. So uh, dependent on you know where we're at in the session, we'll usually practice for about 15 minutes. And so that's been an interesting challenge virtually as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What does that look like meditating in Zoom? I mean, I I know I've done it once myself, but my eyes were closed, so I didn't really know what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, it's a um, well, it's an interesting experience. I you know, I typically allow people to turn their cameras off for that. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not keen on looking at people who are just you know eyes closed, laying on the floor, <laughs> whatever that looks like but yeah so so typically we'll do that for about 15 minutes it's a it's an interesting experience but it seems to work all right i'll usually guide a meditation nice. when we finish that up um it, you know once again dependent on time we'll usually jump into a team and so these are going to be very similar to the the teams that we run in the inpatient setting uh in that we're dealing with a specific concept in recovery uh the difference there is that these teams are typically quite a bit shorter and so instead of it being a two hour block, the team could be could be as uh, as brief as 30 minutes or, or 25 minutes. And typically we'll discuss, you know, some kind of topic in recovery. So it could, you know, once again, be responsibility or, you know, recently we ran one on self-defeating thoughts. So we sort of investigated uh, the, the anthropology of a self-defeating thought. You know, why was this beneficial at some point in our history? Why is it not serving us now? How do we overcome them in the future? And what happens if we don't? And so we discuss all of those questions, you know, get ideas from everybody uh, and, and typically try to reach some kind of conclusion that could be beneficial. More so than anything else, uh, my goal with Outpatient is to try and give people something that they didn't have prior to the session nice. <laughs> by the time they leave and give them something that they can use. Uh, and so that's sort of the, the, the main body of the sessions. Then that last hour is typically dedicated to psychoeducation. So uh, we'll usually end the meeting after that team session and allow people to uh, 
progress on their learning management system work. And so we've just recently implemented an LMS, uh, which is its own learning management system. Uh, it's online. And basically what that is, is we've got the entire curriculum, phase one through four, uh, transferred into that medium. And so nice. people can log on and they can, they can work through their individual work through that system. Uh, and then we check it on our end. Uh, and that's sort of that psychoeducational aspect. Wow, dude, that's amazing. And then are you able to give them feedback from like their curriculum, like psychoeducational work, like uh, through the computer type of thing? Or is just kind of you make mental notes of like, yo, I'm going to need to talk to Derek about what he wrote tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, within that learning management system, there is a uh, there is an ability for an instructor comment. So nice. Okay. Um, cool. Someone turns in a specific assignment. It could be, you know, for instance, um, courage part four, <laughs> right? And so somebody answers a question about courage. Uh, to me, it looked lackluster, <laughs> and I'd ask them, "Hey, could you please elaborate on this a little more?" Or, you know, what do you think about this particular concept? Uh, and then they have an opportunity to go back and revisit those specific assignments. Gotcha. Dude, that is awesome. So essentially what I'm hearing is that you are an addiction professor. That's what I'm hearing. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like college for recovery over there. <laughs> you know, the the not so humble part of me would sometimes like to think it think of it that way, but <laughs> to try to keep my ego in check. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, me too, man. <laughs> It's everyday challenge. Chris, have we figured it's, out a way? Because, you know, I know a big part of what you enjoyed about the Elevate program, what we all love about the Elevate program is the exercise component. Have we figured out a way to put that into our outpatient as well? Oh, man. You know, outside of my own professing on the subject, <laughs> <laughs> that's a challenge we're facing. You know, it's, it's hard to, um, it, it's, it's incredibly difficult to dictate what someone should do or needs to do outside of that, you know, two to three hour session, right? So we can provide suggestions all day. We can say, hey, you need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the closest that I've come to approximating some sort of um, education on exercise is really trying to present the benefits to, uh, to the group as a whole. And so we'll discuss, you know, frequently, um, the benefits in terms of neurotransmitters, in terms of developing discipline, uh, all of the above as it pertains to exercise. And, and typically we found that people are you know, more than willing to jump into that. Now, everyone's in a different place. A, a lot of people suffer from you know, chronic pain. Uh, they may have difficulty getting out of the house. Um, there's a number of different factors that could confound someone's efforts to you know, increase their level of physical fitness. Uh, and so we try to meet people where they're at, you know, if all you can do is, you know, walk outside for five minutes a day <laughs> right now, Let's like do it, that's yeah. okay. If you're working out two hours a day in the gym, like that's great too. What's important is that you're doing it and you're developing that discipline. And so we try to encourage that as best we can, but it is incredibly difficult to mandate. I bet. I bet. Well, and, and nobody wants it mandated, but we've seen such amazing benefits from doing it and, you know, helping people sleep better, do better, stay sober. So, um, but it is a challenge. I mean, unless you want to run like a uh, Zumba class during one of your sessions and have everybody participate, um, you know, we'll have to figure like out that. how we can get this in. <laughs> I'd be there, dude. Water, I would love, I would pay to see you two Zumba-ing. 
It's a good idea, Dallas. That, we're gonna have to get on that, man. We won't. Yeah, there there would be too many signups. We'd have to limit the class to a thousand. <laughs> I'm just saying, dude. <laughs> yeah, 2021. Yeah, here we come. Yeah, yeah. love it. <laughs> Zumba, sober Zumba. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, dude, I was thinking kind of along the lines too, like, you know, obviously, I mean, I guess just to acknowledge what you said about the fitness and the exercises, I don't think you could have, you couldn't have answered it any better where you can't force it onto somebody, you know, even in residential, like I'm the CrossFit guy at the center. Everyone's like, oh, there's the CrossFit guy. And, you know, even to the point where when we're in lunch in the lunch line, clients are like, oh, I just want to let you know, like, I'm just having the carbs today. Like I didn't have them yesterday. <laughs> like when I walk in, people apologize to me for doing yoga. <laughs> like that's how bad it is, you know, or they're just like, oh, or how God. good it is or how, or how good it is <laughs> where people are like walk by me with their head down if they went to yoga last night, you know. Anyways, the the point that I was making is, is even in residential, it's difficult to get people to exercise and, and explain the benefits. And there's just so many barriers to getting into fitness. People, right, working out, eating healthy are two really simple things to do. Yet, like 60% of America is obese and doesn't work out, right? So it's like, what is getting in the way of doing these things and you hit on it perfectly. It's, it's the pain. It's the lack of discipline. It's the lack of resources. It's the lack of, um, other factors that get in the way. So I'm glad that what you said is you address it like, Hey, here's, I'm going to present to you why you should do it. And that's all I could really do, but I'm going to continue yeah. doing it. And hopefully that plants some seeds. And I think that's a pretty decent parallel for recovery in general. Yeah, I think I think you yeah hit the nail right on the head there. Uh, I was going to jump in with that myself. <laughs> I think that jump on no, in, you, dude. The right. water's warm. You're absolutely right. Um, I, I think the best that we can do, and, and particularly in this outpatient setting, and particularly virtually, is try to present to the best of our ability the benefits of doing this. So it's the benefits of being in recovery. It's the benefits of you know exercising, um, and trying to. You know, I'll actually harken back to this conversation I had with my buddy a while back. And, and basically what the conversation consisted of was just talking about how if we could just, you know, allow somebody and, you know, a client who is just, you know, just recently sober uh, to experience what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis in recovery, you know, X amount of time in we'd be out of a job because <laughs> they would get it yeah. right. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, continue to go back to those behaviors. And so we can't do that. <laughs> so to the best of our ability, we try to present that, you know, this is what you can expect if you try to do this right, right? Nobody's perfect, but this is what you can expect if you work towards something better. Uh, and I think that's sort of what, that's what recovery is about. That's what, you know, fitness is about is trying to build on what you have incrementally and, and try to make it better and try to improve your life. And if you do this for you know, this amount of time, far into the future, you can look back at that point where you started and you can say, look how far I've come. Look what I've done with my life. And so that's what we're trying to encourage. And, and that's what I try to you know, bring to the table with Outpatient. Chris, I, I love that. And that was exactly where I was hoping to go next, because if our listeners are listening to you, they've never met you, they've never seen you, 
You would think that we were speaking with, you know, a 35-year-old educated professor who's been in the industry for like 25 years. You present (laughs) so amazingly uh, professional and knowledgeable, and you speak so well. Um, And I think our listeners will be surprised at actually, you know, how young you are and, and, you know, actually why you're here and that you were ever even a drug addict. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for calling attention to that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's why we're all here, right? (laughs) Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm 21 years old. I, uh, I got sober when I was 18. uh, And, and I was, I was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And so that's sort of my, <laughs> that's my backstory. So that's me. Um, <laughs> Dang, so, so that's you, me. you came to us at 18. Yeah. Been so that long. I was, that's uh, barely legal. Barely legal. Yeah. You, you yeah, were yeah, two yeah, months away from having to go to a youth program. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. In the wilderness, <laughs> dude, in Utah. <laughs> that was the other option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I, I came to elevate, um, it was interesting. I I came to elevate after reaching a point in my life where I didn't see another path. I, I actually didn't see any path at all. And it was it was thanks to it was thanks to my family that I actually found Elevate in the first place. They found it for me, my mom actually. And I was at a point in my life where I I didn't see, I didn't feel like there was anything left for me. And that's a that's a terrible place to be when you're so young. Oh yeah. And the the combination of the work that I did and the support that I received when I was in treatment completely changed the course of my life. It it went from the only way I can go is down to what in the world could I accomplish if only I put my mind to it. And it recovered and improved upon that same sense that I had when I was a lot younger. And so in a lot of ways, the program saved my life, but I also did that for myself as well. And, and, you know, my family played a huge part in it and actually Dallas, <laughs> you played a huge part in it as well. So thank you for that. And, and Angie, thank you for, you know, continuing to uh, <laughs> facilitate this whole operation. <laughs> so the Elevate program did, you know, it, it, it saved my life. And I figured maybe at that point, I was maybe two months sober. I was in the program. I had, I don't think I'd turned 19 yet, <laughs> but I was getting old. I was in the, <laughs> and, and things were going extremely well for me at that point. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure if, if that was what I wanted for myself, but I had a realization in the program and the realization basically was, it was simple. It was just, you know, what if I could take these feelings that I've, that I've cultivated these things that I've done so far and, and share them with other people? What if I could share my journey and, and try to try to help at least one person through this? You know, and if I can help at least one person through this thing that I've been through and this thing that I'm going through, like that would make it worth it. Yeah. And so that's sort of been my, that's been the wishing on a star <laughs> since then. And everything's sort of uh, come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's amazing. And I, and I hope, you know, for our listeners that are listening and maybe people who have younger kids, I'm going to say kids, even though they're 18, that it's, uh, you don't need to like 
spend 10 years in addiction ruining your life before you get sober. Like, look at how amazing it would be if you got sober at 18 and you had your whole life ahead of you, all the possibilities and dreams, and you are living, walking proof of that um, in so many ways. And and I respect and admire you so much because it, it's not always easy to get sober at that age. You know, the peer pressure from your friends, where they all are, nobody's getting sober at that age. And it's like, you know, you got to go kind of be a lone wolf and, and forge your own way and forego all the normal kid stuff, college and, you know, frats and just all that kind of stuff and say, hey, this is where I'm going to go to the college of uh, sobriety. And, and it's it's a tough path for a lot of people, but you do it so well. And uh, you're such a shining example that I hope everybody looks at that and says, hey, you know, no matter what age, I can do this. Well, thank you. I, I truly appreciate that, Angie. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I agree with all that, too, Chris, by the way. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again because it's been said, but I agree with all that as well. Speaking, especially someone that got sober as well at a young age. Uh, I started at 18. I didn't get it till 21. I think I turned 22 in treatment. But, oh, oh, yeah, we've we had talk, that conversation. Yeah, yeah, we've and we've had it on the air, too, so that's going to look bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was like, like, really? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> We're dorks. We've been there this We're a while dorks, now. We're dorks, dude. That's funny. <laughs> but, yeah, man, so I, 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 I get the being young. I get the not... Having support with your friends, you know, I get the being in college, uh, you know, what what are other people doing? Like, you're just kind of a lone wolf, like Angie said, at, at that age. And, you know, maybe that's has a, a lot to do with why you are older for your age type of thing. I definitely get that a lot, too. People are like, you're not 40? I'm like, no, dude, I'm 28. I'm like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, when you get sober at 21 – and all your friends are like 32-year-old people. Like, you just kind of <laughs> yeah. grow up, you know? People aren't getting sober at 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's the best thing that's ever happened to me is being forced to yeah. grow up and not go to college, not go to frats, and actually just, like, learn how the mind works and, like, wonder out, like, figure out how I'm feeling, you know? <laughs> like, all that benefited me so much more than, you know, a, a frat party and uh, economics. <laughs> Well, um, I actually did just, I just began going back to school again to uh, go for a psychology degree. So that's congrats, that's sort of, man. How is yeah, that? It's, it's, How is that going in there sober and, and just, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm loving it. Uh, I'm, I'm loving every second of it. It's, I have a new perspective on education after <laughs> doing that, you know, after having this opportunity and, and psychology. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's very much very much in line with the work that uh, I've done with Elevate. And so uh, a lot of the you know projects and assignments have a lot to do with um, the stuff that I've worked on already. Yeah, <laughs> so it's one of my one of my research projects right now is specifically on the correlation between um, between exercise and uh, and the ability to treat mental disorders. Wow. And so we're talking about is is exercise a viable treatment method for um, things like borderline personality disorder, addiction, and things of that nature? And so I'm doing some research on that right now. And, uh, you know, the results are in. It is. <laughs> it is. <yeah. laughs> Absolutely. We have outcome studies to prove all that, too. Yeah. But, Angie, just briefly, I, I really liked what you said. Um, you know, for people that get sober young or, or for people that are going to treatment young, there's this, 
there's this idea that I, I try to convey to the people that I work with and, you know, particularly the, and this was, this was true in the inpatient, this is true in the virtual outpatient, you know, particularly the younger generation, um, you know, people that come in 18, 19, 20, there is such an incredible opportunity for growth and such an incredible opportunity for long lasting life, lifelong change that can be gained from doing this young. And so I see it every day. I see people that come through outpatient or come through the inpatient, transition to outpatient um, and, and continue on the path. And I see the trajectory with my own eyes increase as they continue doing the right thing, right? So it's like, maybe they, maybe they go to treatment and they have nothing, right? They haven't, they don't have a job. They're not in a relationship. They're, you know, their parents are going to kick them out, right? All of these things, they're not going to school. They finish treatment and like, maybe they're, maybe at least they're sober. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they apply for a job and like, okay, maybe they get it. And then they start working out. And then they start meditating and then their relationship with their family improves. And then, you know, down the road, they get into a committed relationship with somebody who supports them. And then maybe they get promoted at work and all of these things start to add up. And then they're going to school and they're working out every day and their relationships are the best they've ever been. And they're still sober and they're like 22. <laughs> right? And it's like, well, what could this person do if they just kept doing that? Right. And, Obviously, nobody knows, <laughs> but you know my estimation is that their lives could be pretty good. So yeah. that's what we try to preach to them. Dude, that's <laughs> the goal, and it, and the best part is, is it's your own projection of your own life. Like that's yeah. how that's what you experienced. Yeah, it's like holy Absolutely. shit, dude! I could do whatever I put my mind to. My life could be whatever I wanted it to be, and I'm in total control of that. And I want to share that with other people. And if I was to pick one takeaway from getting sober in my life, that would be the same takeaway is that mm -hmm. I can be and do whatever I'd like to do and that I don't, you know, I don't have to like, uh, it's, it's hard to convey. It's a hard idea to convey because you have to experience it to understand it. Um, that's at least what I've experienced is if there's clients, right, when they get to the program, they don't have enough experience or anything tangible to show them that they could be in control of their life and that they could do whatever they'd like to do. Like, you have to really experience that and go through that journey, and it looks different for everybody. But once you do, you get it, and sky's the limit type of thing, right? So I commend you for trying to relay that or convey that as well. It is difficult. But when people get it, like you said, it makes all the difference in the world. And, and it makes all of it worth it when one person can realize that the world is their oyster again, especially from where they started. Yeah. But isn't that the strength of you guys and the Elevate program is leading from the front? Like you guys have been there. You've done that. You're successful. And then you know you have certainty to lead others the same way because you've seen it firsthand you know it can be done and i think that's really the strength of what we do is we don't expect them to do anything we haven't done ourselves because we've all been there and done that and so we can hold them a little more accountable we can push them a little more because we know the potential that's there by having been there and done that yeah i i think that's 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 one of the the, the program i think it 
concepts presented and the people that present them <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. Um, it's, I think that's what the program does, what Dallas is talking about, that you're instilling this sense that, you know, if you take responsibility for your life, if you take on more responsibility and, and you hold yourself accountable and you do these things every day that you need to do, your life will get better with certainty. It will absolutely not get worse, yeah. <laughs> right? And we all know that it gets better, right? So we have this, like I can say it with certainty that if you take responsibility for your life, things will get better. And, and being able to portray that, I think is the strength of the people that work at Elevate. So we've all had that experience and, and we can share that with people. And I think that's, that's something that's worth sharing. Absolutely. I think one thing that's important to mention, um, we all know this to be true, but we haven't said it is like, just because you get sober and you do the work doesn't mean all of a sudden life becomes super easy and the the clouds come out and the <laughs> birds sing and like everything you do is amazing. Like challenges still happen. Losses still occur. Like upsets still happen. And we just get through them uh, and stay sober. And, and still stay the course of getting better and better. It's not like because you get sober, all of a sudden everything's magically fixed from this point forward for the rest of your life. There's still continuous life challenges that come up. We just know how to deal with them better and don't let them define us or cave us in or, or ruin all the progress that's been made. I think that's spot on. Absolutely. You know, there's this idea of the, of the pink cloud, <laughs> right? In yes. early recovery where everything's great and Honeymoon. it looks like it's, being that way and then and then life knocks you down yeah absolutely i i will say from personal experience that the the hardest times the hardest times in my life thus far and that's not saying much because i am still very young but the hardest times in my life so far have happened in recovery yeah dude i mean i would i could yeah i don't know i i think i've experienced a bit of both hard uh hard times and sobriety and an addiction but uh, yeah it's it's hard to say I mean I I agree with that like life's full of suffering you know life's full of suffering no matter what you're doing doesn't matter you're gonna suffer that's just a human experience you know but you need to be prepared for it in sobriety you know you're, you're you you need a different set of tools you know because it's gonna yeah. happen people are gonna pass away and you're gonna get sick and lose jobs and lose money but you know, uh, that's going to happen for sure. So just learning how to deal with it, it's got to happen. You know, it's got to happen. And it's doable. And you can stay sober through it all. That's yeah, the exact part. <laughs> you don't got to use that, over having a human experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, and what I mean by that is that the, the hardship in my life prior was self-inflicted. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah. As a result of my addiction. Uh, and, and the hardship now is is far less self-inflicted right mm. there's things going on right things happen to people right people get sick people die um you know incredible tragedies occur in the world but it's up to us if we actually want to you know suffer through them as opposed to you know trying to trying to make ourselves stronger as a result of them Right. And trying to work through them and, and, and staying sober while doing it and not making that suffering any worse. So I, I think that's a that's a big part of recovery is just learning to, you know, try to not make that suffering any worse because it will happen. 
Yeah, the self-infliction. <laughs> we still do it yeah. in certain ways, and learning how to not do it is incredibly difficult, but incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Yeah, and it's I think just, we just got to be prepared that it's not going to always be great, but it's not always going to be bad either. It's just going to be what it is. And I think, you know, in other <laughs> modalities, they're sober, but they're really pissed or miserable or white-knuckling it. And then, you know, if you would hear us talk, you'd think everything's amazing all the time, and that's not the case either. It's just life and learning to navigate it, feeling the appropriate emotion for what's happening, going through it, being with it, and getting through it to the other side. You know, I think that's a that's a really great point, Angie. Um, there is oftentimes when when people get sober through, even I've seen in this program, there is you know you know the drug of choice is gone. It's removed from the equation. You know, albeit in a lot of cases temporarily, but the pathology remains, right? So the addictive behavior gets transferred to something else. It could be in some cases, something positive, like, you know, exercise or, um, I mean, there's not, it's not a whole lot that's super positive. Co- but coffee, <laughs> pretty much. Co- coffee. <laughs> could, be, could be broccoli. Right, one of those. Then. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so you see nicotine, food, sleeping too much. Um, you know, all of these watching TV, uh, gambling, Video right? all of these are, yeah. <laughs> additional pathologies right and so <laughs> and, and in other cases it's things like anger and frustration and a continuation of the pathology that got someone to treatment in the first place and so you see i think that's one of the causes of white knuckling right when you try to take the substance out of the equation and not substitute it with something else you then get this you get a, a void that you have to fill with something. And when you're not filling it with anything, you're just white knuckling it, right? You don't yeah. have anywhere for that energy to go. And so I think then you get that sort of that phenomenon. But yeah, I think the question is, how do we, how do we take that energy and direct it towards something that's positive, you know, such that you can make your life better using it? And that's what it's all about is developing new healthy habits. It's, you know, yeah. not leaving a void there, but filling it with positive things that are only going to make your life better and doing those things over and over again, whether it's five minutes of meditation every morning, it's a power list, it's working out, it's getting your eight hours of sleep. We try to reformulate the life to fill the voids, not just take everything away and say, okay, there you go. Better, right? You're like, it's a constant work in progress and, and adding things that add value and not doing the things that take away. Yeah, you're so right. It's this, there's a feeling that you lose something when you give up your drug of choice, right? Mm-hmm. And heard it specifically referred to as I've lost my love. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's and gone. that's a very selfish <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> but yeah, there is this feeling of losing something that's very important to you and very close to you. And so you need to, you need to find something else that can substitute. You need to find something else that can make up for that loss. Uh, so it's not just loss, right? You need to gain something uh, in your recovery. And I think we give up that substance so that we can gain everything else. Yeah, I everything think they else. call that um, long-term gratification, right? Losing something in the immediate future to gain in the long term. But you are, you know, in recovery, you're like agreeing to winning something in the future and you don't know what that is. But you have to lose right now. 
You have to go through yeah. withdrawal right now. You have to go to groups right now for the hope of something better and not knowing what that is or if it's even possible. But Chris B is telling you it is, and you got to believe him. That's what recovery looks like in real time. It's a yeah, hard Chris sell, B's dude. It's a hard sell. Real, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the it's the one cookie now or two cookies later. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> But you don't know if the two cookies are coming. Yeah. Chris is just telling yeah, you that he is. Her. And <laughs> you have trust issues. <laughs> and, and addicts, we want instant gratification. Not that delayed, maybe someday. We want it. We want it now. Yeah. Yeah. I always get yeah. my cookies now. <laughs> the Oreos. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.